Luke chapter 19, verse 28. And when Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade round you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Here ends the New Testament reading. Heavenly Father, we want our lives, we want this church to be full of praise for the one who saved us. We thank you for Jesus. And... So, Lord, we pray that you will speak to us now through your word more about him, help us to understand him better and his call on our lives. In his name we ask it. Amen. Do be seated. Well, in this short series on meeting Jesus that we're going through in the run-up to Easter, my title today is The Grief of Jesus. And the passage that we're looking at is that account of the Palm Sunday entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It's in Luke chapter 19. It'd be great if you could have that open uh, in front of you. It's there in the Bibles, uh, beginning on page 878. Page 878, Luke 19, verses 28 to 44. If you're in the middle of a crowd, all going in a certain direction or all reacting in a certain way, it is extremely difficult to respond differently to what the crowd is doing. You have to have a very clear head, strong convictions, a deep commitment to your alternative course of action, and a willingness to face whatever may be the consequences of taking a line different from the line and the direction that the crowd is taking. So, if you're in a full St. James's Park on a Saturday afternoon when Newcastle score, which happens every now and again, 
It is very difficult indeed not to leap to your feet along with everybody else, screaming your head off in really what is a rather undignified fashion. It is very hard to resist the crowd. It's a lot more serious, even more serious, when the issue is the crowd's reaction to God in the person of his son. And what each of us needs to learn is how to follow Jesus, whatever is happening around us, and whatever direction the crowd is taking. And this passage that we're looking at can help us. It deepens our understanding of the full significance of those Easter events. It also gives us insight into the way that the crowd works. So I want us, first of all, to focus on the city, Jerusalem, and then on this cult that Jesus rides, and finally on the crowd, the city, the cult, and the crowd. And there's a key lesson in relation to each one of those. In relation to the city, the lesson is this. Jesus brings in a new age. In relation to that donkey cult, the lesson is that Jesus shows that he is the king. And then thirdly, the reaction of the crowd, we will see, is right, but it is unreliable. So we're going to think, first of all, about the city and that first heading. Jesus brings in a new age. Now, why do I say that? Well, it's because of what lies behind what is said there at the beginning of our passage in verse 28. Take a look at that. And when he, when Jesus had said these things, he'd been uh, teaching Uh, the crowds and and the disciples. And Luke says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Going up to Jerusalem. It sounds almost like a relatively insignificant aside, but in fact that phrase, going up to Jerusalem, is loaded with meaning. Jerusalem was at the centre of the old order. And the old order of things was about to be swept away by Jesus. Because the truth is that Jerusalem was under judgment. Why? Because Israel, the people of God, had proved itself to be unfruitful. It has utterly failed to be what God called it to be. It's in the process of rejecting God himself in the person of his son. And that is made crystal clear by Luke's account of what happened at the end of our passage. So just jump on down to those last few verses of of what we heard read earlier on, verses 41 to 44, this little section headed, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. So what we see here is the raw grief of Jesus. Luke, uh, Luke says this, And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade round you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
Why this terrible judgment? Jesus says, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Visitation by who? By God. In other words, because you did not recognize the time when God came to you. When God came to them in Jesus, they killed him. Thirty years after Jesus, there was a Jewish revolt against the oppressive rule of the Roman Empire and that revolution was ruthlessly crushed by the Roman Empire. Jerusalem was laid waste. The temple was reduced to rubble, just as Jesus had prophesied would be the case. And after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it is no longer Jerusalem and the temple, which is the focus of God's presence with his people. It is Jesus himself. Jesus brings in a new era. You could, for instance, think of when a building is sold and when the new owner takes possession. There is a new start. The old owners depart. There is a period of transition and the new owners take over. The entry of Jesus into Jerusalem marks a transition to a new era in how God relates to his people. God's people will no longer be those who relate to him through the temple and the sacrifices that were made at the temple. They will be those who know God through faith in his crucified and risen son, Jesus. So this little phrase at the start of Luke's Palm Sunday account, Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem, marks the end of a long and momentous journey. Sometime before, Luke records how Jesus had set his face to go to Jerusalem. And it was Jesus, not Pilate, not the chief priest, who was the true ruler of Jerusalem, despite all outward appearances. Their fate and the fate of the city was in the hands of Jesus. Jesus was coming to die in Jerusalem. Jesus would rise from the dead in Jerusalem. Jesus loved Jerusalem. He wept over Jerusalem. He grieved for Jerusalem. But Jesus was bringing judgment on Jerusalem. So where does that leave us? Well, here are two things for us to take to heart. First of all, we must realize that it is not religion, but it is our relationship with Jesus that counts now. You don't have to be very old to face up to the implications of that and to understand it. As I look back in my own life, I can see that I grew up with a great deal of religion. Traditional church every Sunday, chapel every day at school. When I was in my early teens, I I realized that it was not religion that I needed. It was Jesus. And I began to deal direct with him in my life. And my life was turned right upside down. It's the kind of thing that Fiona was describing to us earlier on as well. And every one of us needs to realize that it is not religion, but it is your relationship with Jesus that really counts. Secondly, recognize that in Jesus, it is God himself who is confronting us. If we come under judgment, why will that be? It will be because we did not know the time of our visitation. 
as Jesus said of Jerusalem's response to him. It will be because we did not see that in Jesus, God came to us. Jesus is the one with whom we have to deal. Our eternal destiny hangs on how we react to him. Not on our religion, but on how we deal with Jesus himself. Because Jesus brought in a new age when he came to Jerusalem to complete his mission. So that's the first thing we need to learn in relation to Jerusalem. Jesus brings in that new age. The second lesson relates uh, to uh, the colt, this young donkey that Jesus rides. And it is this. So second My second main heading. Jesus shows he is the king. It's a very striking thing that when Jesus needs something, he gets it. So he makes arrangements for his disciples to go and collect this young donkey. We know it's a donkey from the other gospel accounts. And uh, then this is what happens. Verses uh, 32 to 35. Have a look at that. So those who were... Sent, went away and found it just as Jesus had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now what is Jesus up to here? He is fulfilling a prophecy about the arrival of the Messiah that God gave through the prophet Zechariah, centuries earlier it's there in Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 we heard it read earlier and it says this rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion shout aloud O daughter of Jerusalem behold your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey and we know for sure that that's the right prophecy for this occasion because Matthew tells us in his gospel, he says, this is Matthew 21 verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And then he quotes from this passage from Zechariah. So what does Jesus mean by this? He means that this picture of the entry of God's anointed king into Jerusalem applies to him. It's all about him. And by extension extension from that, Jesus means that all of the prophecies about the coming Messiah in the book of Zechariah, they all refer to him. And Zechariah speaks of the day when the good shepherd will be struck dead. And the significance of that is there in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 1, where the prophet says, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, in other words, for God's people, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. The death of God's chosen king will open the floodgates of God's mercy and forgiveness. His blood will become like a fountain that washes God's people clean of all their sin and frees them from the threat of judgment. But it's going to take an extraordinary and unique king who will give his life to serve his people in this way. It's going to take a saviour king, a king gentle and humble enough to come not to be served, but to serve. Some years ago, Newcastle United won the First Division Championship. You may remember that if you're old enough. And uh, because... 
that was uh, the closest the Magpies have come to winning anything significant for many years, uh, the team paraded and hundreds of thousands of people turned out to see it going past on the open-top bus. And I was there. And so was our then very young son, Ben. And we stood right beside the road. And the team bus went right past us. I could have reached out and touched the bus. And there on top of the bus, open-top bus, looking down towards us was Kevin Keegan himself in pride of place. And I was waving to Kevin when I suddenly realised that uh, not only was he looking in my direction, but he was talking to me. And what Kevin said to me was, watch out for your son. (laughs) And I was very impressed indeed that he was not just there soaking up all the adulation of the crowd, but he'd taken time to notice that my young son, Ben, who I was completely ignoring because I was so taken up with what was happening, was about to be run over by the team bus of Newcastle United. And I was also very, very pleased that Kevin had said that because it really would have been very awkward if I'd had to go home and tell Vivian that Ben had been run over by the Newcastle United bus on our expedition. The salvation of the world needs a king who rides into his capital without pomp, without ceremony, without a great army at his back. In other words, it needs King Jesus. And by riding in just on that donkey, Jesus is saying, I am the king the world needs. I have come to die so that a cleansing fountain will be opened for those who who are really my people. He is just. He is merciful. He is gentle. He is powerful. I remember going to London for the Queen's Golden Jubilee. And we waited for a long time on the Strand for her to come by. And the route was lined with armed soldiers. And we knew that she was going to be coming soon. Because there was this massive procession of cavalry and vehicles and artillery blazing her trail and then there she was in her shimmering gleaming golden coach going right past us very very impressive Jesus needed none of that a young donkey was enough for the crowd to get the point they knew what he was saying the authorities knew what he was claiming all those prophecies about the Messiah He was the one. So let's learn that second lesson from these verses. Jesus shows he is the king. Let's praise him for his majesty. Let's rejoice in his humility, which leads him to to the cross to die for our sins. And then the third lesson comes clear as we consider the crowd. So thirdly, the reaction of the crowd is right but unreliable. It's clear that what Jesus did that day... Uh, was not a kind of obscure gesture that hidden away, as it were, from the TV cameras. This crowd was obviously familiar with the Zechariah prophecy of the Messiah entering Jerusalem on a donkey. They already had high expectations of what Jesus do. There'd been a lot of talk about him as possibly the Messiah. This was now the the moment they'd been waiting for. Their delight is obvious. And as Jesus 
enters the city, this is what happens. This is from verse 36. And as they rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a welcome to the Messiah. It's a phrase that comes, in fact, out of Psalm 118, which was traditionally sung during the period of the Passover festival, which is what they were engaged in at that time. It's kind of heart herald angels sing of that time. Everybody knew it. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of of the Lord. So it's quite clear that they reckon Jesus is the saviour king they have been hoping for. Jesus is a very visible and public figure at this stage. He's a big celebrity. The crowds have been swirling around him since early on in his ministry. But what this crowd does not realise is that the Messiah, in whom they have invested all their hopes, was going to be rejected and suffer and die before he returned in glory. They wanted their salvation now. They wanted the Romans out now. They were not prepared for things to get worse first. And of course they were right to welcome Jesus as the, as the coming Messiah. But their expectations were wrong. Jesus had already spelled it out with great clarity to them. But they were not listening. They had another agenda. Crowds are very dangerous things. Their mood swings about, sometimes very wildly indeed. And they can turn on you if you get on the wrong side of them. You've only got to look at what happens in the course of just a week here. They're praising him to the skies at the beginning of the week, but in a few days their tune is so different. And Luke records how the crowd were urgent, demanding with loud cries that Jesus should be crucified. Fear is a great motivator for all of us, not least in a crowd. And what we have to be absolutely sure about is that we fear God more than we fear the crowd. I saw a film, uh, a thriller in fact, and a government agent was interrogating a terrorist. And this agent asked the, the guy who was acting as the interpreter, about the terrorist he was interpreting, he said, is he willing to die? And the answer came back to him, yes. And the interrogation ended there. Because no one has power over you if you're willing to die for what you believe. Are you willing to die for Jesus as Jesus has died for you? That's the bottom line for every one of us. Don't fear force, whether it's the power of the crowd or the power of those who seek to manipulate it. Who knows what the future holds for those of us who follow Jesus? The days are coming, indeed in all sorts of ways, they're already here, when faithful followers of Jesus will have to stand firm against the crowd. Don't fear force. Don't fear the crowd. Fear God. And don't follow the crowd. 
follow Jesus. He is just and so merciful. He is gentle and so powerful. Victory in the end is his. He is the king. Fear no one else. Follow him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for coming to us, visiting us in the person of your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, just and merciful, gentle and powerful. We praise you for him. We praise you for that fountain of mercy and forgiveness that flows from the cross that he went to as he entered Jerusalem. And Lord, we pray that you will teach us by your spirit and in your grace and in your mercy to follow him faithfully. We're sorry for those times when we go along with the crowd, when we turn away from Jesus. We sin against him. Lord, we pray that you will give us your strength and your grace so that we will follow him, whatever the circumstances whatever the crowd is doing, and whatever the consequences. For his glory. Amen.